Today, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that hate is not strong. It sure is. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that there is peace all over the world. There is not. I am going to talk today about, though, that the message that the bells ring, that the angels gave, peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was a promise made by God that came to pass the moment Christ was born. It came to pass again the moment he died. The moment he was resurrected, it will happen again when he raptures his church, and it will happen again when he comes riding back on a white horse. Peace on earth. It's something that I pray desperately for. We look at what's happening in the Middle East and in Eastern Europe and at, at, on college campuses here in America and various other places, and I want peace. I want peace. We read in the verse, Isaiah 9, chapter, or chapter 9, verse 6, that he is the prince of peace. So where is this peace that he promises to us? Let's talk about it today, shall we? We read these verses first in Luke chapter 2, verse 14, where we read, the angels appear. I'm going to start in verse 9. It's not on your screen, so don't worry about it. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. By the way, you know the word gospel means good news? So that verse can be read, For I bring you the gospel of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there, stood, there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among men with whom he is pleased. Goodwill to men. Let's talk about it. Number one on your note sheets. Number one on your note sheets, a plan from the beginning, a plan from the beginning. I want to say this, do not misunderstand me, I have read the Bible. When Christ comes back on his white horse, he will make peace. Peace will come with him, but it is because he is going to eradicate evil. And we read in the book of Revelation, chapter 16, I believe it is, might be 14, that there is a river of blood 180 miles long, as high as a horse's bridle. That's what peace costs in the end, because men are so evil. But there will be peace. So make no mistake, I'm not standing up here and going, well, God only always wants peace. Go ahead and read through the Old Testament, where he told the Israelites to kill men, women, children, livestock, eradicate them. God is a God of peace. But sometimes peace costs quite a lot. So don't misunderstand me. I'm not up here wishy-washy going, oh, God, just, it's just peace. He just sits on his throne and goes, boy, I wish everything could just be peaceful. No, he will come back and make it peaceful one day. But the thing is that that peace comes at the great expense of human life. God said, I will create peace with the expense of one life, my own. I will sacrifice mine to make peace. 
And in the very beginning, in Genesis 3, right? So in Genesis 1 and 2, everything is perfect. In seven days, six days, and on the seventh day he rests, he creates a perfect world. There is still work. Never let anybody tell you that there won't be work in heaven. There will be. Adam had a job. Tend the garden, name the animals, take care of them. It just wasn't laborious work. But it was still work. Church, we're called to be workers. And then God created Eve, and Eve had a job as well. Help Adam with the work. It wasn't until chapter 3 where work becomes a problem for us. And in chapter 3, right, here comes Satan in the form of a serpent. He starts tempting Eve. By the way, you ever think about this? The snake talked to Eve, and Eve didn't freak out. If an animal came and started talking to you, would your re first response to be have a conversation with it? Probably not, right? Mainly because animals don't talk. Even people are like, well, what about parrots? They're not actually talking. They can mimic the sound, but they're not actually talking. They don't know what they're saying. I think that you can make a compelling argument that at least some of the animals in the garden had the ability to speak. Not all of them necessarily, but I think some of them. That's not part of today's uh, sermon, really, but, you know. Here comes the snake, and she's speaking to Eve, he's speaking to Eve. And Eve is tempted. She falls into the temptation. She sins. Adam follows suit very quickly behind. And because of that, this world is evil. And God shows up on the scene looking to have his evening walk. By the way, he would walk in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve. Can you imagine that? Just walking with God? I know we talk about that in Christianese. Oh yes, I walk with God. No, literally, let's go on a walk together and talk. One day, I can't wait for it, and he comes for his walk knowing full well that walk's not going to happen that day. And not again for thousands of years. And he clothes Adam and Eve. And then he delivers this pronouncement upon all three of them. Satan, Adam, and Eve both are cursed. Adam and Eve with the various things. Eve is cursed with pain and childbirth and such like that. And women, you can attest to this. It has not changed since then. Men were, were cursed with the land that used to give such easy fruit and labor will now be toilsome. And now work is hard, even if you love it, right? People say, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Hogwash. It's still work, even if you enjoy it. The worst, though, goes on the snake. First off, snakes themselves are now cursed to crawl in their bellies. That means they didn't before. So picture that. Here comes a snake up to you, and it can either stand on its tail, or maybe it had legs. We don't know. We know it's cursed to crawl on its belly the rest of its life, and snakes do. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. Significantly higher amount of people are afraid of snakes that are women than that are of men. It goes all the way back to there. And then it goes to a spiritual part of it, because that enmity between the snake and the woman is also between Satan and the woman. And Satan would attack women throughout the rest of history. But also, God's deliverance from the snake was going to come from a woman. Not a man. A woman. And he says, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Satan. And 
about 4,000 years later, what happened? Satan struck Christ's heel as he is crucified on a cross. But Jesus crushed his head. From the very beginning, God said, I have a plan and evil will not endure. I am long-suffering, not me. Anybody that knows me knows that I am not long-suffering. But God says, I am long-suffering, and I will wait. At this point, he has waited little over 6,000 years. He may wait another 6,000. I don't know. I don't think so, but he might. Because he is long-suffering. And he puts up with evil because somebody is still going to accept Christ as Savior. So he allows it. But the moment that there's no one else, he's done. And evil is done. When you read through the book of Revelation multiple times, the saints in heaven, the angels in heaven, we read about 24 elders in heaven, praise God because he is putting an end to evil. We should do the same. And he had a plan from the very beginning. This wasn't a plan that he's come up with. It's not like he's had to go, you know, sometimes, not sometimes, almost every time when I make a plan, we kind of have to fly by the seat of our pants at times because things go wrong. And you've got to go, okay, so this person didn't show up, or this thing happened, or that happened. I got sick, this thing happened, right? And you've got to change on the fly. God doesn't have to change a thing on the fly. He had the plan from the beginning, and it has happened just, not just as he said it would in a foresight sort of way, just as he said it would because he put it in place. And we said already he's a sovereign God mighty God in control. So he has this plan from the very beginning for peace on earth, goodwill to men. But evil is allowed to endure. And I think when you look at the world around you, you see evil all over the place. All over the place. In America, outside of America, at anywhere you look, there is evil. Including within your own heart. There is evil there. And so... You can look at it and go, what kind of a plan is this? Number two on your note sheets, but God, I've said this before, but God are some of my favorite words in all of scripture because it's always something along, along the lines of you're a sinner, you're this, you're that, this is wrong, this, but God. Whenever there's a but God, it means something great is about to happen. I liken it to, now, you'll also know I'm not a huge fan of Disney. Put aside any of the political stuff and stuff like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about they have made, I can count, I don't count Star Wars as Disney, and I don't count Marvel as Disney, okay? I'm talking about Disney Disney. I can count on one hand the amount of Disney movies I actually enjoy. Now, I have seen a great many of them many, many, many times because I have a brother who loves Disney, and somehow, someway, he always got to pick what we watched. Every time. Would anyone like to guess what movie I have seen more than any other movie in my life? The Little Mermaid! They say, when you start agreeing with Triton, that means you're an adult. I agreed with him at seven. She is being a little imp, and someone needs to put her in her place. Sixteen, I'm not a child anymore. Bull crap want to go to this man he's gonna hurt you I don't know what to tell you 
I'm gonna go to the sea witch instead. Yeah, that works out well. If somebody has the word witch in their name, avoid them. One of the movies that I do enjoy is The Lion King. Okay? I'm a big fan of The Lion King. It's not my favorite one. My favorite one is actually Mulan, but I enjoy The Lion King. And in The Lion King, right, Simba and Nala, they go to the elephant graveyard because they're like, we're kids and we're on a dare and this is great. Ha <laughs> ha, we're big strong lions. And the hyenas show up and they're like, we're going to kill and eat you now. And they're like, oh, he's, he's roaring. That's funny. And then you hear from off screen this really powerful roar. And it's not Simba. It's his dad. And the hyenas don't fear Simba. They fear the dad. He's showing up is like but God in scripture to us. But God. And there's, I wrote down three times in verses where it says, but God, in Romans 5, 8, we read, but God sent his son to die for us. And I'm going to paraphrase these verses for you, but I wrote down the references, so feel free to go and look at them. But God sent his son to die for us. You and I belong in the lake of fire, tormented for eternity. But God. And he gives the gift of eternal life, not physical life. That was taken from us when we decided to sin. You'll get it back eventually. But he gives the gift of eternal life, eternal spiritual life, but God. And but God, I love this one in Ephesians, rich in mercy, rich in his mercy, sent Christ, bless you, sent Christ to die for us. I love but God, because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We belonged where Satan and his demons are going. We sent ourselves there, but God, being rich in his grace and mercy, made a way for us. Because he had a plan from the beginning. Peace on earth and goodwill to men. Number three on your note sheets, number three, peace on earth. Peace on earth. We read in Philippians chapter four that he can give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. All understanding. Most of you will know, um, back a uh, little over a year ago, dad was in the hospital, heart problems and stuff like that. Not good. And a lot of people that I knew were not at peace. I was. Now, I did not like the situation. Do not misunderstand me. I wasn't sitting in the office going, this is fine. This is fine. No. To be frank, I was not and am not prepared yet to lose my dad. I'm not at that place yet where I can go, yeah, if God takes him home, I think I'm pretty good to go. I can work this life on my own. Not there yet. I still need his advice. I need his wisdom. I need him to slap me upside the head. But I was at peace because I have a God that surpasses, that gives a peace that surpasses all understanding. And I could say, God, whatever you decide, and I'm very thankful that he decided he was going to get better. But whatever you decide, it's well. I'm at peace. 
not because of me, but because I relied on him. We read, we read it this morning already in Isaiah 9 verse 6 that he is the prince of peace. He's in control of it. He sends it. Church, if you are not at peace this morning in your life about something, where is God in it? Are you fighting him or are you just not turning to him? Because if you are without peace, it means you haven't let God take control of it yet. Every single time. Peace is one of the nine fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness too. Woohoo! Gentleness and self-control. Now you might say, Pastor Sam, why did you do a little dance? There is a song that I learned working in kids' ministry. And it's the fruit of the Spirit. And you, and it, you remember back to your, your high school days and stuff like that when they'd be like, we've got spirit, how about you? That's the whole point of the song. And it's a chant, it's a cheer. And I cannot remember the last two unless, at least in my head, I go woohoo. I have to do the whole thing. But it's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Did you know you are commanded to have all nine fruit of the Spirit? And if you are commanded to, that means it's a choice. That means it's a choice that you and I make. You have a choice to have peace and be at peace. You do. Now you might say, Pastor, what about the circumstances going on around me? You don't know what I'm walking through. Maybe not. I do know what the Bible says. And that supersedes anything you are walking through. Because if Christ could have peace as he walked to the cross, you can have peace as you have to get up for work in the morning. It's commanded that you have peace. And then in John 16, he says, be at peace. You will have troubles, but I have overcome. It's Jesus talking. Be at peace. You will have troubles in this life, but I've overcome them. We overcome because he was born that day. Hate may be strong and mock the song of peace on earth. It may seem like as you walk through this life, there is no such thing as peace anymore. But he came that you might have peace. He came so that you and I could actually walk in peace. Not without trouble and trials and tribulations. But to have peace in them. It's like the disciples when they're on the boat. And there's this huge storm that's come up. And all 12 of them, half of them are fishermen. So they've experienced these sorts of storms before. They're like, we are going to die. That's how bad this storm is. If you're on a boat with somebody who is really good at a boat, and they look at you and say, this storm's bad enough, we're going to die. You, yeah, you're not in a good place. If they're not freaking out yet, you probably shouldn't either. The moment the people that know what they're doing go, I don't know, you're probably SOL at that time. And they're freaking out on the boat. And Jesus is asleep in the corner because he knew he's not dying yet. And neither are his disciples. His time had not yet come yet, and he had already told the disciples that they were called for a specific reason. And the time had not yet come for them either. It would come for all of them, and for almost all of them in pretty horrific ways. John's the only one who dies a natural death, and he was on a 
Rock Island when he died. So, yeah, a natural death as he's been exiled. But he had peace because he knew God. And they wake him up and they're like, don't you care about us? And he goes, come on, guys. Don't you know who you're with? And he calms the storm. And they're like, oh, this, this guy right here. And then they mess up again and again and again and again after that. But he had peace in the middle of the storm. Psalms, David writes in Psalms, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Why? Not because David was some great warrior. Not because David was the king of Israel. But because you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They bring me peace. Let's apply this to our lives then, shall we? Where Know exactly where your peace comes from. Right, I carry around with me um, almost all the time a little a little bottle that's got peace and calming in it. I'm an essential oils person. I like them. I, I like the smell of it. I just I like it. Right, it's a nice roller one, so I can just roll it right on there. Twist the cap back on. You know, it's great. It's great. I love it. I like natural oils. Most of your medications began as natural things that they then synthesized and stuff like that. So, I like having this on me. It does help me to stay calm. This isn't where my peace is. It's not. Because quite frankly, I could bathe in this stuff. And it wouldn't bring me peace. I have an incredible wife who just walked out. She's telling mom that we're closing up. I haven't offended her, at least to the, my knowledge right now. Give it a few hours. Um call me at about 10 o'clock tonight, depending on how the Eagles-Cowboys game is going. I may have offended her at that point. Um, she's, she's incredible. And I will tell people at times, you know, she's my peace. She helps me to stay peaceful. She can't bring me peace. She can't do it. She does not have the capability of doing it. Now, she is an incredible wife. She does so much for me, but she has no actual power to bring me any peace. I have an incredible family. I'd like to say that they bring me peace, but more often than not, they're the ones that are causing me trouble. You all laugh, but come to one of our family reunions. My poor mom left crying the first time she came to one. It's true. She came from a family where... Everybody was just kind of nice and prim and proper and all that kind of stuff. And at our family, I'm amazed there aren't food fights sometimes. It's great. We have a good time, but it was so overwhelming for her. My family doesn't bring me peace. Even if they were the perfect family, they still wouldn't bring me peace. Sports don't bring me peace. In fact, sports oftentimes do the opposite. Music doesn't bring me peace. I love music. I love it. Doesn't bring me peace. You may look for peace in food, in drugs, in alcohol, in another person, in relationships, in anything, um, anything that is created that you look for peace, you will not find it because it's not there. Because just as God is the source of love, he is the source of peace. 
Know where your peace comes from. I'm not saying to not take solace and such in your wife or husband, right? I'm not saying to, to not, you know, listen, when I've had a bad day, sometimes all I want is a really greasy slice of pizza. It doesn't bring me peace, but it, it brings me a source of happiness. Until I watch Maddie with a napkin dabbing the grease off of it. And at that point, I'm no longer at peace because she's wasting the best parts. <laughs> so, but I don't care what created thing it is. It will not bring you peace. Know exactly where your peace comes from. And then here's your practical. Here's your practical. Cast your cares on him. Cast your cares on him. I didn't come up with that. That's right out of, I believe it's the book of Philippians. Cast your cares upon him. Leave them there. We call this area right here, kind of where I'm standing, where the communion table is and such, the altar. Right? If you ever hear me refer to um, the altar, that's what I'm referring to, is that area right there. In most modern day churches, we don't have an altar where we would sacrifice something. As long as I am your pastor, I don't make too many promises. As long as I am your pastor, we are not going to sacrifice an animal right here. Okay? We don't need to do that anymore. You're also not going to come in and see a deer hanging or something like that. And you're like, did you sacrifice that? No, but somebody shot it and I'm going to eat it. Right? But that is where the idea came from. Not the deer part, the first part. The altar. Because you would lay the animal on the altar and you would kill it. And you and I are still called to lay things on the altar. First and foremost, being yourself. To lay it down on the altar, Romans 12 says, as a living sacrifice. Lay down on the altar. But besides that, you'll hear the altar. Sometimes in church you'll hear at the foot of the cross. It's the same idea. Lay your cares down at Christ's feet and walk away. Leave them there. You will face trials in this world, but take peace be at heart. I have overcome them. That's what Jesus said. But he's not going to force you. He's not going to force you to take heart and be at peace. There will be times when I will say, if somebody needs to come down to the altar, come on down. And quite frankly, every single person in this room has a reason to come to the altar. I don't know what you're facing. Some of you I know, but not everybody. But all of you have something to lay at the altar. You do. All of you have something that you need people to be praying for you for. All of you have something. All of us, I'm including myself in this, have something that we need to cast at Christ's feet. If I may, because oftentimes we think about, here's the one thing you need to cast at the feet of Jesus. And you do it once and you walk away. And that's great. If you have a lot of those, great. I envy you. Because I have quite a lot of things that I like to pick back up. Right? Every single day, I have to cast back at the feet of Jesus, my mother. Be 
because I love to pick it back up. Because I like to feel like I've been wronged. You're sitting there, you might go, why would you want that? So do you. We like to be the victim. We like to feel like we've been wronged because it gives us some sort of ability to wrong somebody else. It gives us that vindication. Well, I was wrong, so I could wrong somebody else. Look at what happened to me. Boy, I'm glad that Christ doesn't take that tact with us. Because every single sin you've ever committed was weighing him down on the cross as he hung there. There are things sometimes that you have to work diligently not to pick back up. I understand. But do it anyway. Now, I'm not saying that this area is the only altar that you've got. You can be driving in your car. And as long as you lay it at the feet of Jesus, that's the altar right then. In your house, at your job, at the grocery store, as you're trying to pick out which of the 1,000 different cereals they have out now you want to take home. It's always Captain Crunch with berries, nothing else. Except at Christmas time when it is Christmas Captain Crunch, which is Captain Crunch with berries, but they're different shapes. They're little Christmas trees. I have two boxes in my house. Right, but it doesn't matter where you are. Now, sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes I come in here when no one else is in here, and it's dark out. And I come in here, and I kneel right here because I need to talk to God about some stuff. And it just doesn't quite feel the right place to do it on my couch. That's part of what coming to church is for, is so we can lay things at the altar. Now, you might say, oh, crap, is he going to do an altar call right now? No, only because I already told Mom we're close to done. If I hadn't, we probably would. Know where your peace comes from. And this week, your practical is to cast your cares on him. Your life's not necessarily going to get better. I'm not standing up here and going, your life's going to get so much better. No, I am guaranteeing you when you give your cares to him, you have peace. And I need peace every moment of every day, and so do you. And those angels sang it out. Peace on earth, goodwill to men with whom God is pleased. And every time you hear a bell chime this Christmas season, think about it chiming out. Peace on earth, goodwill to men with whom God is well pleased. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the peace that you uh, pour out on us. Thank you that you came so that we could have peace. Because this world is not at peace, and I naturally am not at peace. But I thank you for your peace that surpasses all understanding. I thank you for your command that I need to have peace. I thank you that you made a way. Father, I'm asking for each of us that you would help us to lay our, our cares, our anxieties, our worries, our trials, our tribulations at the altar, at the foot of the cross, at the feet of Jesus, whatever Christianese term you'd like to use. And that we would have that peace this Christmas season. Father, it's in the name of your son that we pray. Amen and amen.